Good morning. Good morning. Uh, last week we kicked off a series of conversations intended to unpack the truth that words, that your words and mine have power. Our theme verse is Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I understand that this is an extremely important topic. I mean, according to the living and active Word of God, actually our topic these next few weeks, it's a, it's a matter of life and death, right? And like life and death are like, I think a really big deal. Like, I'm not sure there's any deals that are any bigger than life or death. Now, we're, we're gonna do a little repeat back thing. I'm gonna say life and death, and then you're gonna say are in the power of my words, right? Y'all got your line, okay? Life and death. Okay, that doesn't count. We got to do it three times good, right? Life and death. I'll count it, but I shouldn't. Life and death. Life and death. Amen. Now, at the conclusion of last week, we were offered two challenges. And one challenge was to do a word inventory at the end of the day. At the end of the day, before we go to bed, as we're going to bed, we ask ourselves a series of questions. Who did I encourage and build up today? How did I use my words to speak life into someone today? How did I use my words to speak death into somebody today? How did someone else speak life into me? How did someone else speak death into me? Did you try that last week? It's not always fun to do. Believe me when I tell you, right? I, I, I did it last night, and it's like, dang, dude. <laughs> wow. You can do better. You can do better. And here's what I'll tell you. The enemy doesn't want you to do this. He doesn't want you to get to the end of the day and think about the words you spoke to the people around you, the words you spoke to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, other church members. He does not want you to do this. Because if you do this, each day you're going to look for ways to do good, right? Right? And so he doesn't want you to do it, right? And so I just want to encourage you to do this, right? I'm going to keep doing it. I think maybe I need to keep a journal of it. And the second challenge was to begin your day by preaching God's truth over your life. Like I said last week, all of us are pretty much already preaching to ourselves every day. Problem is, a lot of what we're preaching to ourselves is just not true. It's, not, it's a lie. It's not, it's not helpful to us. And this is a very biblical concept that God told Joshua, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, did you preach to yourself any time this week? You know, preach God's word over your life? I, I hope that you did. There's power in doing it out loud. I did that several times. I, I found that more fun than the inventory, to be honest with you. Uh, inventory is a lot harder. You know, uh, it was on this sheet right here. I have more copies where it has some things you can speak over your life and has the inventory on the back, right? I encourage you to do that, all right? There's power in God's truth. And if you would all stand for a moment, we're, we're going to do some preaching to ourselves, right? Uh, slide's going to come up, and we're going to preach these truths to ourselves 
out loud. Ready? I am radically and completely loved by the king of the universe. I am fully forgiven and free from all shame and condemnation. There is no sin or temptation that I cannot overcome because I've been crucified with Christ. Amen. I will walk in confidence and not in fear or anxiety no matter what I face because the all-powerful great God is with me. So I'm not worried. I'm not weighed down. That is not who I am. I've cast my burdens on the Lord because he cares for me. I have no insecurity because I see myself as God sees me. I am God's beloved son and his masterpiece. My life is not accidental, random, or meaningless, despite how I feel or what anyone else says. Instead, it has great purpose. I've been created to bring glory to God and to live life fully. Because of Christ, <laughs> we're speaking in tongues at the Grove today. Because of Christ, forget, let's, let's see, leave have out of there. On three, we're going to say this together, we're going to leave the have out, right? Okay, on three, one, two, three. Because of Christ, I am not weak or limited, but have all the resources and power I need to live the life he intends for me. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. That's true. And if that makes you feel just a little bit good, I would encourage you. That, and I, none of that's made up. It's all true. And there's a copy of that available, you know, in the foyer and also in the visitor center, right? You see a copy of those things, too, that you can, and as you read the Word, you may find something else to preach to yourself. This is just to help you. Uh, let's pray. God, we love you. We need you. Help us, God. Um, you said it through your servant Solomon, that uh, life and death are in the power of our words. And God, every one of us in here uh, long to speak words of life, but oftentimes we don't. And we've hurt people. And that hurt is deep. And we've caused problems with our tongue. And it's hurt our homes. It's hurt our relationships. Uh, but yet the tongue is also powerful to bring life. And and God, I pray that we just lean in. Uh, we lean in to your word and your truth and embrace this truth and live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, now, one of the things we've seen a lot on television this year, almost every year, are the ongoing fires in California. There's actually been 6,188 fires so far this year. And it's burned approximately 1.5 million acres, which is twice the size of Rhode Island. That's pretty crazy. You can actually go to a website, you know, and, and it'll show you right now what are all the active fires going on in California. And here, here's a picture right here of a fire, um, the next slide, that was going on just July of this year. Devastating. And, and I started reading a little bit about how they investigate those fires and the first thing that they do, right, is they, they want to figure out, they want to focus on, hey, what's the origin? How did this thing get started? And, and most times they actually can figure out how the fire or where the fires start. You see, they, they look at satellite images. They, they pay attention to fire patterns. They pay attention to things like which way, which way um, is the grass lying down in the fire because the grass tends to point right towards uh, where the fire started. 
And, and once they identify the origin of the fire, they want to figure out what caused it. And over 90% of all wildfires are caused by human influence. 90% because a campfire was left unattended, someone was burning debris, someone flicked a cigarette carelessly, or maybe even arson. But investigators, they, they want to know where it all began and, and, and what caused it. And they want to know this because there's always so much devastation, right? Thousands of acres burned, homes burned. And, you know, and, and many times, right, uh, people die. Many times firefighters are injured or die in the process of fighting these fires. And, and, and that it all began with one tiny spark. And Maple Grove, this is the word picture that the Bible uses to help us understand the power of our words. It is this image of a word being released carelessly, maybe even unintentionally, but nevertheless, that word creates a spark, and that spark turns into a fire, and it creates a lot of devastation. Get it? Good. And now James chapter 3, we see James using a bunch of metaphors uh, to uh, illustrate the truth that even though the tongue is small in size, it has a lot of power. James 3.3. 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, uh, we can turn the whole animal, right? I mean, you got this tiny bit in a horse's mouth. Show that picture, if you would, right? Isn't that girl cute, right? <laughs> you know, you got that tiny bit, and, and yet with that tiny bit, you can, can control a 2,000-pound animal. It's crazy. And James says, hey, your tongue is just like that. It has that kind of power. Then he says, and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will the pilot directs. Like, here's a big ship right here, one of the biggest. That's the, that's the USS Gerald Ford, CVN 78. That, that's, that's, that's big, right? And if you go underneath of it, here, here's... That's the actual rudders of that massive aircraft carrier, right? This massive aircraft carrier, you know, the direction it goes is determined by that rudder. And the point James is making is that your tongue, the words you speak in many ways are just like those rudders. They determine the direction of your life. You may not see it. You may not understand it. You may not realize the significance. But James says, this is what's going to determine, in many ways, the direction that your life goes. Question. Where have your words been directed in your life lately? Yeah, the words you speak to yourself and to others have the power of death and of life. And then James gives us this image of the spark that turns into a great fire. And likewise, the tongue... It's a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Uh, the, tongue is, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James pretty tough, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, he's trying, he's saying, I, I, I want you to get this. He says, I, I want you to get this, that your words are significant, that they have power, that they carry weight, that they have the power of life and they have the power of death. 
I understand maybe we grow with our words, we can set off a spark that lights our whole life on fire. Get it? Good. You know, I've heard people say before that the, that the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body. That's not true, actually. And the tongue actually isn't one muscle. It's made up of like eight muscles mashed together. And what I find interesting about the tongue as a muscle is that the tongue does not get sore. You ever thought about that? Like, like you can talk. I mean, we said last week that you talk 16,000 words, right? Every day. But no matter how much you talk, your tongue, it doesn't get sore. Like last Sunday, I preached a sermon, and then I did an hour and a half class, and I shared great stuff at, at Mervalore Celebration Service. And you know what? I didn't go home and say, man, my tongue is so exhausted. I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't do that, right? And, and you know what I didn't do? I, I didn't go, before I came out here, I didn't go in the back and do tongue exercises, right? Make sure it's real. Okay, you ready to go? I got some talking. I didn't do that, right? It's just, you know, there's something about the tongue as a muscle where it just doesn't get tired. It just goes and it goes and it goes. And James says, look, with each word you speak, there's a potential of the power of life and there's a potential of the power of death. Your words can bring about great destruction. In fact, just a few words can create a spark that turns into a massive fire. Ever see this happen in your relationships? And so if you trace this idea throughout history, you'll find that a lot of pain and a, a lot of destruction of war, right, began with words. Someone made a speech, someone, someone used a careless word, or they were prideful words, or malicious words, or hateful words, or threatening words, or slanderous words, and it escalated and turns into a bloody and deadly war, but it all started with just words. And listen, words are typically... What will end most marriages? I mean, you, you see the marriage on fire. You see everything is scorched and in a mess. But if you trace, if you trace the fire back to its origin, if you look at the fire pattern and go back to where it started, and more often than not, you'll find that the grass laying down is pointing to Words. And maybe there are words that should have been spoken that weren't spoken. I love you. I forgive you. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I want to make this work. I am not going anywhere. Or maybe it was words that should not have been spoken. Complaining words or critical words or controlling words or cruel words. But the bottom line is this. Some words that were spoken early on created this spark and the spark spread and eventually it wiped out, it wiped out the marriage and it wiped out the entire home. And almost always goes back to words. Get it? Good. And words are what can make a workplace toxic, Right? I mean, some of you know this, because it didn't used to be that way, but then someone came in and they're just negative, and they complain, and they gossip, and they're critical, and they change the whole atmosphere of the workplace. I mean, one person came in, and they just started spewing fire everywhere, right? Gossiping and all that. Hey, I've always liked this definition Rick Warren gives of gossip. 
When we're talking about a situation, you ever do that? With somebody who's neither part of the problem or part of the solution, then we're probably gossiping, right? Done any gossiping lately, right? If if that person is not part of the problem or part of the solution, you should not be talking with them. Get it? Uh, I don't think you wanted to got that one. Good. Uh, Words can turn friends into enemies. And words can divide and damage churches. Someone becomes careless with their words, and so they gossip and they slander, and they're critical, or they complain, and they create dissension with their words, and they divide and they damage the body of Christ. And this happens far, 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 far too much. So much damage has been done to and in the body of Christ through our words. You all agree with that? You've seen that happen? It's tragic. We need to change that. I need to change that. We need to change that. And I think the reason James talks so much about this issue, the power of the words, is because he, he, he was a leader. He's an elder at the church in Jerusalem, right? So I, I think he saw up close and personal the damage that a careless word can do within the body of Christ. And so in this letter, James writes to Christians, he keeps coming back to the tongue again and again. I mean, right out of the gates in the first chapter, he, he, he kind of summarizes this, the whole deal where he says this. Uh, those who consider themselves religious, and, and in our, our day, that's like a bad thing, right? We don't want to be religious. It, it, they didn't think that way, right? So really what he means, you know, if, you're, if you say you're a Christian, if you say you're a Jesus follower, right? You know, okay? And yet do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, You deceive yourselves, and your religion is what? It's worthless, right? Even if you do the next verse, even if you look after the orphans and widows, right? You you may get a thumbs up there, but if you don't control your tongue, you got two thumbs down. See, do you hear what he's saying? He said, if you're a Christian, if you and I claim to be following Jesus, and our faith has not changed the way that we talk. That we still throw out careless words and critical words and complaining words and cruel words and negative words and discouraging words and angry words and hurtful words, then our faith is worthless. And so James is going to challenge them as Christians to be careful with the words that they speak because it's confusing, right? It's confusing when people hear us say that we love God and we love other people. And then with that same mouth, we curse and criticize and put down people. In fact, James talks about the very thing in chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursings. Our brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. Our brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? No. Or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James uses these metaphors, these images, and says, look, if you're using these words of death, if you're using words to tear down and to destroy, and at the same time, with that very same mouth, you're praising God and worshiping God. James says, you can't do that. 
It's got to stop. You can't go on trying to, to pull up fresh water from salty water. You, you can't come to church and sing worship songs to Jesus, thanking him for his sacrifices, and then get in your car with that same mouth, begin to speak harshly to those with you, or to speak negatively about the church you just left, or to start singing songs that have lyrics in them, you know, lifting up the very sins that Jesus died for. You can't do that. You can't one minute and you kneel beside your bedside with your young child and pray with them, and then in the next moment, with the same mouth, be filled with rage, yelling, and cursing. You can't in one moment come to church and bless people, and then with that same mouth, turn around and gossip about and slander people. You can't do that. You can't come to church and sing praises to God, and then with the same mouth, curse the church of God, criticize and complain about what God is doing. You can't do that. If you do, and when you do, if I do, and when I do, my religion is worthless. And yet, here's what both you and I know. It's that that's what we do. And this is the frustration of the tongue. In fact, you pick up on this as James talks. I mean, he even seems to treat the tongue as if it's not really part of him, as if it's like, what's wrong with my tongue? I don't know what's wrong with my tongue. It's not me. It's my tongue. And I think James talks with a level of frustration that I think reveals not only that it was a problem in the church. I tend to think, I speculate. There's something that James struggled with and was frustrated. The tongue has been lit on fire by hell. I just think the guy who wrote that maybe understands it personally, right? Has seen it happen. Because in the very next verse, after saying that, he says this, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed, but no one human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison, snake venom. And I don't know if you've had these moments, I'm sure you have, I know I have, where you say something to someone, and then you find yourself, maybe you say it out loud, maybe you don't, but you're like, where did that come from? You ever do that? I mean, someone pulls out in front of you in traffic, and you just unload. The middle age, you're like, where did that come from? Or you lose your temper with a coworker, or with one of your kids, or with a friend, or with your spouse, and you speak sarcastically, or you speak harshly, and you think, where did that come from? And I think James understands this frustration. Now, if we flip over to Luke chapter 6, Jesus is going to help us understand where it comes from. So James is talking about, hey, your tongue has all this power, power of life, power of death and destruction. And Jesus says, yeah, it sure does. And here's where those words come from. It's not random, like you might think. It's not as unintentional as it seems. Those words, that tone, it's coming from somewhere. And then Jesus is going to He's going to talk to us about this and use a bit of the same figurative type language. He says in Luke 6, beginning at verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus, he's like, hey, you're, you're putting the stuff into your heart, into, into your mind. And then you're surprised when it comes out in your life. Like you're planting these seeds. <laughs> and then you're shocked when you see the fruit that they bear. Jesus says, you don't think it matters, but it matters. What you put into your heart is what comes out in your mouth, what comes out in your life. Your heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Get it? Good. And this is especially, I think, significant, you know, to be talked about in, in our culture, in our Western culture, because we are, we're in a time where we are overwhelmed with entertainment. And, and as a result, we justify, minimize the impact of that entertainment. And so we constantly do, we fill our head, we fill our heart, we fill our minds, our eyes and our ears with certain things, then we tell ourselves, well, that's just entertainment. It, it, doesn't, really, it doesn't really make any difference. I don't be legalistic about this. So, you know, I, I can watch what I watch and listen to what I listen to. I can put whatever I want into my heart and into my mind. And that's not going to come out of my life. It's just entertainment. And Jesus is like, mm, nope, sorry. That's not how it works. What you put into your heart and your mind is going to come out in your life. Now, for some of us, it's not just that what we have put into our hearts, it's what other people have put into your heart. I mean, you didn't choose it, but somebody spoke some words in your heart and they planted some seeds and that's the fruit that began to bear in your life and now that's the seed that's, that you're planting in the life of the other people around you with your words. Jesus said, listen, it's all coming from the heart. And that what's in our heart matters a lot more than we tend to think or recognize that the mouth will bear the fruit that's being planted in the heart, right? And listen, this is not the only time Jesus talks about this connection between our heart and our words, our heart and our mouth. He says in Matthew 12, verse 34, for whatever's in your heart determines what you say. Matthew 15, 17, things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. So we say, well, I don't know where that comes from. And Jesus says, hmm, I do. I know. I know where that came from. That actually came from your heart. Now, we may not see the connection, but the connection is there because Jesus said it's there. And You've been trying to change your words that you speak. You've been trying to change the tone that you use for a long time. And you're frustrated. Because it, does, it just doesn't seem to take. And you're starting to think, well, maybe, maybe I'm just wired that way. And Jesus would say, no. Actually, it's in the heart. So James says, look, your words are powerful. The tongue has the power of life and of death. And Jesus says, your words come from your heart. So the question that becomes, what am I putting into my heart? Or what am I allowing into my heart? Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else. That seems pretty important, right? <laughs> like, above all else means above all else, right? 
Guard your heart. Because everything flows from it. Everything flows from your heart. Now in Hebrew culture, heart was used metaphorically to talk about kind of the center, the core of a person, the the spiritual hub that the the spokes of life are, are connected to. And so you guard your heart because everything flows from it. Understand, my Grove, whatever is in you is what's going to come out of you, right? I have a jar here. Some of you have seen me do this a long time ago, right? I got a jar, right? See this jar? There's a lid on it. I'm going to shake this jar. Okay? Why did the water come out of the jar? Is it because the lid was loose? Is it because I shook the jar? You know why water came out of the jar? Because there was water in the jar. Right? See, all this world can do is shake your jar. That's it. And what's in you, I felt rather refreshing. What's in you (laughs) is what's going to come out of you. Get it? Your words and mine have the power of life and death. And what I want to do now is look at two categories of words from Scripture and I have two columns, and one side I just have words of, words of death. Hey, can you go to the, the other slide? There should be a slide before that. Go again. Uh-oh, that one. Perfect. You guys are awesome. Okay, um, and, and one, I have words, words of death. And, and, and so, you know, do these words describe the words that come out of your mouth? You know, the words of death are angry words, complaining words, harsh words. Resentful words, would these describe you? Negative words, judgmental words, gossip words, critical words, discouraging words, right? I mean, would you say that these words describe the way that you talk? These are words of death, that pour death in the lives of other people. And then the other side, the right-hand side column, we have, this, we have these, right? This kind of like the opposite. Instead of angry words, you have gracious words. Instead of complaining words, you have uplifting words. Instead of harsh words, you you speak words that are tender. Instead of resentful words, you speak words that are forgiving. Instead of negative words, you speak words that are positive. Instead of speaking judgmental words, you speak words that are accepting. Instead of gossip, you speak words that build others up. Instead of critical words, you speak words that bless people. Instead of words that discourage, you speak words that encourage So which of these columns would you say best describes the way you talk to people? Now, a couple of things. First, we tend to be not, we tend not to be very objective with anything as it relates to ourselves. You see, it's easy for us to say we are what we want to be. So the question might be better asked of a person you came with that's sitting next to you. And you just hope they're a right hand a right side column peep person, right? You hope they're that kind of person, right? You ask them. You know, a friend or a spouse, you know? You say, hey, would you take this list? You know, it'd be a pretty brave thing. I, I don't know if I would, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it. I'll be honest with you, right? right? You take this list, people who know you, and say, would you circle the words here that describe the way that I talk, that describe the words that come out of my mouth? I think every one of us, right, want to be right side column people, right? I mean, I don't know anyone who says, you know what? 
I hope, you know, I, I hope someday, one day, when I die, people will get up and they will say that I was angry, complaining, harsh, resentful, negative, judgmental, gossiping, critical, and most discouraging person they ever knew, right? <laughs> That's who I want to be. I don't think anybody says that. I said, we all, we, all want to be, we all want to be this way. Yet the struggle's real, amen? And, and, and some of you are like me, and we, we can make a case, right? We can make a case, hey, I, I, I really am this way, except for, a, except for a few people who make me this way. <laughs> it's that there, there's just somebody in my life, you know, this pulls me over to the dark side. If they would change, and again, I'm pretty sure we all want to be right side column people, and yet we're going to struggle with this, and that's why I think it's important for us to talk a little bit more about the heart connection, and think about what kind of heart produces those words of death, and what kind of heart produces the words of life. And, and you're not going to have time to, to write this stuff down, but on the back of this wet sheet, uh, on the back of this seven faith conviction sheet, I have all these things here, right? These things I'm going to do right now are right there so you can just sit back and listen. A heart filled with bitterness will speak angry words. That's not always bitter. Sometimes it's fear, sometimes guilt, but there's always this underlying bitterness. A heart filled with bitterness speaks angry words. So when you hear yourself speaking angry words or someone else speaking angry words, there's some bitterness there. There's some resentment. And yet a heart filled with forgiveness speaks gracious words. And the Bible makes this connection over and over again, right? It's because of the grace we've been given, because of the forgiveness that we have, that allows us to be gracious to other people. And, and so as, as we fill our hearts with God's grace and God's forgiveness, that begins to overflow out of our lives and into our words to other people. A heart filled with entitlement speaks complaining words. Understand, when, when you see someone who's constantly complaining, there's almost always this entitlement that's happening in their hearts, where instead of looking at life and feeling gratitude and, and filling up their hearts with thanksgiving, they look at life and think, I should have that. It's not fair this person gets that. And the people at home, at work, and at church should do things the way I want them to do them. And so their spirit is one of discontentment and entitlement rather than contentment and gratitude. And it comes out in the words that are spoken. Next, a heart filled with guilt tends to speak harsh words. I understand when, when we've allowed guilt and shame to build up long enough in our hearts, the walls go up and our heart gets hard, and we begin to speak words that are harsh and cold. But a heart that's filled with peace gives tender words. Next, a heart filled with rejection speaks resentful words. Now, some of you have experienced this, like your heart was rejected. It, 
It wasn't your choice. It was something that was done to you. Words of rejection were spoken into you. And, and so you struggle with resentment. And it just, it, it just comes out in the way you talk to people in your life. I mean, you just have this resentful tone. But a heart filled with acceptance speaks kind words. Understand, as you grow in your understanding that God accepts you, that you are accepted by the one who matters most, that acceptance begins to fill your heart and your words become kinder. With these next few quick, a heart filled with grumbling speaks negative words. A heart filled with thanksgiving speaks positive words. A heart filled with condemnation speaks judgmental words. A heart filled with love speaks compassionate words. A heart filled with jealousy speaks words of gossip. A heart filled with contentment speaks words that build up. A heart filled with self-righteousness speaks critical words. A heart filled with God-righteousness speaks words of blessing. A heart filled with disappointment speaks discouraging words. A heart filled with hope speaks encouraging words. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So according to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, there is a very real connection between what is in our hearts and the words that come out of our mouths. And listen, if these are the kind of words that are coming out of your mouth, put the bad slide up there again. You know, it has the angry words. If these are the words that are coming out of your mouth, coming out of my mouth, like, like, what do we need to change? Do we need to be more disciplined? It's more than that. It's an issue of the heart. You see, here's the deal. Most of us put the majority of our energy into behavior modification rather than heart renovation. We put more energy into behavior modification rather than heart renovation. Now, there's a place for behavior modification, right? Scripture talks about that a lot. But, but, but if that behavior modification is not fueled by heart renovation, it only leads to frustration, right? Because it just doesn't work. It maybe works for a while, but it doesn't work for long. And so Jesus says it's more about your heart than you think it is. Now, some of you may look at these two columns of words, and you think, especially the right-hand side, that, that, well, that's just not me. I want to be that way. I know people can be that way, but I can't see that being me. And Jesus says, it's about your heart. It's about what you fill your heart with. Like, 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 like these are just symptoms of a, of a heart problem. And now it's okay to treat the symptoms, right? There's nothing wrong with behavior modification. But if you don't get to the root or real cause, the heart issue, you're only going to get worse. And so what, what if you decided this week that you're going to be more intentional about what you fill your heart with? Now let's say you decide that you want to be more encouraging and positive as a person. So what do you need to do differently when it comes to your heart? Again, you want to be more encouraged, you want to be more positive. Now you don't see the connection. But maybe there's a connection to your time on Facebook and Instagram. Because more and more studies would show 
that that creates a spirit of discontentment, a spirit of jealousy, a spirit of I'm missing out. And that spirit fills your heart and overflows into your words. We tend to get gossipy and we tend to be more critical and more jealous and we have this sense of entitlement. So what if you said this week, you know, in the evening at least, (laughs) I'm just going to cut that stuff out of my life. I'm not going to be on Instagram. I'm not going to be on Facebook and see how great everybody else's life is. (laughs) I'm not going to watch their highlight reels anymore. And, And maybe you make some other changes to what you fill your heart with. Changes to what you watch on YouTube, what you watch on TV, etc. Maybe make some changes to the, to the music that you listen to, to the things that you read. Maybe you cut back on talk radio. Man, that can make you angry, right? Network and cable news, right? You spend too much time listening to talk radio and watching cable news. You do that for a week, immerse yourself in that. There could be one ticked off person, Right? Now, I know the first tendency is to think, like, I don't think it works that way, Steve. Maybe it affects other people that way. But I don't think it's that big of a deal. Okay. Maybe so. I'm just saying try it. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying try it. Because maybe there is more of a connection than you think. Between what you fill your heart and mind with what comes out of your mouth. And, and, and maybe what would help you to become more of the right-handed side person is if during the week you listen to worship music. You know, not, not just on Sundays, right? Listen to worship music, right? Uh, maybe as you're driving in the car instead of talk radio or, or songs that are singing maybe things that maybe Jesus had to die for, you listen to worship music. Or, or, or when you're doing housework or when you're cutting the lawn, doing yard work. You just listen to worship music that, 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 that tells you who God is and how much God loves you and what God has done for you. What if you did that and filled your heart with that? And what if you opened your Bible this week and you began to fill your heart with what God says about life and about him and about you and his plans for you and his desire to work for you and through you? What if you picked up a good faith book Faith-based book to read. I stuck these in your outline. These are all great books. Read every one of them. These are good books. And you read that. You read another junk, right? What if you read some good stuff, right, that fills your heart with good stuff? What if you went on our Right Now Media that we have? You can sign up for that. And you listen to some good study by somebody or, or some speaker talking about a topic that helps you grow in your faith. Well, what, what if you filled, what if we filled our hearts with that? I mean, just start looking for ways that you can fill your heart more and more with good stuff, more and more with, with God's stuff. And see if that doesn't begin to flow out of your mouth. And here's what I think is going to happen. And if, you, if we start doing that, right, and, and we're not even going to realize what's happening, but if we start doing that, we're going to wind up saying something to somebody. We're going to wind up speaking life into somebody. And they're going to be like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? It came from my heart. It overflowed from my heart because that's the way it works. Get it? Good. And so I know some of you really need to hear this, myself included, because we've been battling this for a long time. We've worked really hard, right? Trying to make changes in behavior modification. And now I think it's time 
to pay closer attention to your heart. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. You know, you got to guard it yourself, right? You got to be that TSA agent at your heart, right? Okay, let me wind you. All right, hold your hands up. All right, you know, you know I can't let you pass. You're not going to help me. And not only do you need to hear this, but there's some people in your life who are hoping that you hear this. But like, if you don't want to do it for you, would you do it for them? Because they're just dying to hear some words for you that would bring some life into them. They're just dying to hear some encouraging words, some accepting words, some forgiving words. And so for their sake, it's time for you to try something different. It's time for you to start filling your heart with good stuff, with God's stuff. It's time for you to be more intentional about guarding your heart. For your mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I'm just asking you to try it, right? I ask you to try to preach to yourself. Try to do a word inventory. This week, just, hey, try to fill your heart with good stuff. And, and limit some of the garbage. You know, and, and, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, there's no magic in writing your name on this up here, but there's, it's cool to do something physical, right? You know, I'm not making you. If you don't do it, you're not a bad Christian, you know? I'm just saying, you know, there's somebody, write my name, say, you know, I, I really want my words. I want to be serious. I want to speak words of life, not words of death. You know, I want to do my word inventory. I want to preach good stuff to myself, and I want to fill my heart with good things so it overflows with good things. Now, ultimately, Jesus came to earth not to make us, not just to make us good little boys and girls that say nice things to each other, right? He came to give us a new heart. He came to redeem the scorched earth that has been lit on fire by sin and by some of our own words. But listen, he's the one that can always bring back life. And he wants to do that in your heart. Jesus wants to bring back life into your heart. He wants to fill you with good things. So that your words will overflow with things that speak life to other people. If we would just surrender to him. And so I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing and a song about surrender. And just listen to the Holy Spirit, right? You've heard me long enough. What would the Holy Spirit have you do? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. And Jesus, we know, God, we know, we've had words of death flow over us, and it's not fun. And God, we know that, that we, intentionally, unintentionally, that we have poured words of death on other people, people that we love and that we care about. And, and Jesus, we want to be different. And, and Jesus, you tell us that it's, our mouth speaks what our heart is full of. And, and God, help us be intentional this week about filling our heart with the right stuff, with your stuff. We need your help, Jesus. It's a matter of life and death. Amen.